Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state rushes to expand hospital capacity. Then, what it means to be American in the wake of military withdrawal from Afghanistan. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, new reporting sheds light on the practices a Jackson Hospital uses to collect debt. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We as a state, as a collective, have failed to respond in a unified way to a common threat. That's Luann Woodward of the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She spoke yesterday at a press conference held to address hospital capacity in the state. We have failed to use the tools that we have to protect ourselves, to protect our families, to protect our children and to protect our state. We have an effective and available, a safe and a free vaccine that we are not using to its fullest capacity. Speaking alongside Woodward were a few representatives of Samaritan's Purse, which is a major disaster relief charity affiliated with celebrity evangelist Franklin Graham. Throughout the pandemic, Samaritan's Purse has deployed doctors, nurses, and medical equipment to areas of the world hardest hit by COVID. Now they focus their efforts on Mississippi. Here's how one Samaritan's Purse doctor described the situation. This is the fifth or sixth different field hospital for COVID I've been involved in with Samaritan's Purse. What's changed? It feels like more of a tragedy right now, not just because of the vaccine issue that we've heard, but also the demographics. What we saw in Italy and New York was it was ravaging folks that were 70, 80 years old, uh, had a lot of pre-existing conditions, that kind of thing. And what we're seeing with this variant it's both because the older age group got vaccinated to a higher degree and because it's more virulent. What we're seeing now is 40-year-old people intubated in an ICU. That's something you never saw in 2020. 
it's just more virulent and, and really more of, more of a tragedy even now with these young people, with young families that are enduring this and, 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 frankly, and frankly dying from this. So that, that's how I'd summarize the difference. Samaritan's Purse will help UMMC equip and staff a 50-bed field hospital in the medical center's parking garage C. That comes in addition to the temporary facility that's already up and running in parking garage B. Coming up, we ask a military historian how the situation in Afghanistan informs our own past, present, and future. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Most of us were shocked over the past week as we watched Afghanistan fall to the Taliban. Taliban. But according to war historian Andrew Wiest of the University of Southern Mississippi, we shouldn't have been. Pretty much every military person I know wasn't stunned. It was really only Americans who haven't been following the war that closely. Is what happened in Afghanistan the same as what happened in Saigon? That's a really good question. Of course, it's not the same. It is incredibly and eerily similar. I mean, in in both cases, the U.S. took part in setting up and then defending countries that really had no ability to stand on their own once we left. I would argue in in, in the Vietnam War, depending on how you characterize the timeline. We were there for eight years. Uh, In the Vietnam War, we tried to help create a state that was survivable and a military that could win battles. And I think that the big problem there was that we put too much emphasis on the second part, a military that could win battles. The state that that military served was incapable of surviving. In war, it is often battle that gets all the attention But wars in the end have political solutions. And we in Vietnam didn't have a political solution. And thus the military, no matter how many battles it won, didn't achieve a victory. Same exact mistake, I would argue, in Afghanistan. We put an awful lot of effort into winning battles, giving them hardware, training them how to win battles. But if you looked at the political situation that that military served, It was untenable. It was an Afghan government that couldn't get along with itself. There were often two presidents vying for power, and neither one of them had much power. There was graft all over the place. There was infighting continually. In that sense, the two are very comparable, that we front-loaded a military solution, but a military solution that didn't go far enough. If you're going to rely on the military solution, you have to go in no holds barred and essentially destroy the place, which in Vietnam and Afghanistan, neither of those wars had that solution as a possibility. So we needed to be much more politically minded and much more long-term minded. Winning either one of those wars, quote-unquote, would have taken a generation or more. It would have been a very difficult war to win, but we could have. Is Afghanistan a done deal? Meaning, will the Taliban always be in control? Uh, I wouldn't say Afghanistan's a done deal. If you 
look at their history through, throughout time. They're a very fractious nation. In fact, it's not even correct to call them a nation. They are 14 or 15 different groups of people who often are at each other's throats. The Taliban will no doubt control the nation and perhaps even call it a nation for a while, but then they'll run afoul of something else that's there. And Afghanistan has been in a state of turmoil in much of its history, and that turmoil will probably return. Um, I have seen indications that China and Russia are interested in poking their noses into uh, Afghanistan. To be honest, strategically, I don't think America loses a lot by them poking their noses in. In fact, we we benefited pretty well when the uh, Russians poked their nose in in the 1980s. That they came back pretty bloodied from that. China may take the next crack at it, and they'll probably come back bloodied as well, like the British Empire did hundreds of years ago. So uh, Afghanistan, sadly, will probably return to being a fractured, fractious group of people and superpowers in the world should beware of sticking their nose in there. And I think that's been proven time and again. So many of us are horrified by what we've seen over the last couple of days. The scenes on the tarmac at the airports. We hear of all the lives that will be lost as a result of this or change forever, women especially. But we're half a world away. What is the significance for us in Mississippi, for Americans? Why does this affect us directly? Frankly, uh, that's been one of the problems with this war and its related war in Iraq is that they didn't affect most Americans directly. Unless you had a loved one in the struggle, you still went shopping, you still went to the movies. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't like World War II when people had scrap drives and were connected to the war. The American society was disconnected with the war and arguably still is. So – Will this have functional repercussions in Mississippi? I suspect not. Again, if you polled many Mississippians just a couple of years ago, if there was a war going on, many of them probably couldn't have told you correctly that there was and where it was happening. But it has huge repercussions for us as, as a nation. We lost 2,000 young Americans plus in this war. Uh, it has repercussions for those families. It has repercussions for the tens of thousands of wounded who uh, returned from that war. It has repercussions in if we're the world leader that we certainly seem to be, we're going to get in conflicts like this again, where there is a local partner that is ill-equipped to fight. And so we move in and attempt to fight for them and with them. We, we got to get it better next time. We, we have to pay more attention to what makes a war like this tick. And in Vietnam and Afghanistan, we obviously failed to do so. It has moral repercussions, too. We, we are going to be always presenting ourselves as the light of the world as far as justice and humanity is concerned. And that's a difficult thing to portray yourself as when you leave behind tens of thousands of people who are at risk and the main reason they're at risk is that they believed you when you said you were going to come in and win this war and then you left and they're still there to pay the price there's a moral price to be paid for that as a world leader so so will it you know impact mississippians in their pocketbook or in their 
daily lives know, but it deeply impacts uh, what it means to be an American and what it means when other countries look at America, uh, that, that this kind of end of the war uh, is very damaging to the uh, America's reputation in the world. Andrew Wiest is a professor of history and the founding director of the Dale Center for the Study of War and Society at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thank you so much, Professor Wiest. Thank you. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Mississippians receive life-saving care at St. Dominic Hospital in Jackson. Then the bill comes due. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. On yesterday's show, we heard the story of Linda Burks. She's a receptionist who sought out breast cancer treatment at St. Dominic Hospital in Jackson. When she missed a deadline to renew a payment plan for her medical bills, she says she was aggressively pursued by a debt collector and eventually sued. Linda's story is one amongst hundreds. Joining us again is investigative journalist Jack Bologna, who recently published a report detailing St. Dominic's financial practices. There's three types of hospitals that you'll generally go to. They're either owned by government, like a county or state. They are going to be private, like Merit Health, which owns hospitals in Mississippi. Or they're nonprofit, like St. Dominic or Baptist in Jackson. And these are hospitals that pay virtually no taxes. And in return, they are required to provide benefits to the community and you know, that, that includes having a policy for um, free and reduced care. Typically, it's called charity care for lower-income folks. Your investigation shows that they were indeed charging if and suing people who were supposed to get free care or reduced free care. Yes, yeah. In their own tax filings, St. Dominic says that in about the last five years or so, they have performed $51 million worth of care for folks that should have actually gotten that care for free, that should have qualified for their charity care assistance policy. How many patients have been chased by debt collectors as a result of their care at St. Dominic? So in Hines County alone, from 2018 to 2020, uh, more than 3,600 patients of St. Dominic's were sued either by the hospital itself or debt collectors that worked on contingency for St. Dominic. And that's likely a drastic undercount of the total amount of patients sued by St. Dominic over that time because that's only Hines County that I was able to look at. And I did go to Rankin County and uh, Madison County to see that, yes, debt collectors and St. Dominic were suing patients in those counties too. And so it appears that the true number of these lawsuits could be hundreds or even thousands. Do you know how much revenue it represents? Experts that I talk to say that these lawsuits, when pursued even aggressively, will generate maybe half percent or a percent of a hospital's overall operating expenses. I asked St. Dominic if they would tell me how much these collections actions generated for the hospital, uh, and they would not tell me. They did not respond to that question. St. Dominic, did they have the information 
that they needed to determine that someone should not have been charged for care? Yes, I believe yes. You know, it's very rare to know how much these folks are making, how how much money that they are making uh, that are being sued by St. Dominic's or its debt collectors. But occasionally in these lawsuits, when uh, a, a garnishment would be pursued, the employer would respond and say, this is how much this person is making. And I did find that there were folks not only working in low-wage industries, but it would actually say that this person is making you know, seven twenty-five an hour, or they are making you know six hundred dollars every two weeks, or they are working part-time, or indicating that they would be kind of falling within this range where they should be getting free and reduced medical care at St. Dominic. And you would think that you know when that pops up in a lawsuit that that would be an automatic type of red flag that this person should have qualified for charity care. But I never heard back from the debt collectors when I, you know, reached out to them. And then also, you know, St. Dominic's own tax records uh, indicate that they know that thousands of poor Mississippians who should be eligible for free or reduced care are not getting it at the hospital. Over that kind of four and a half year period of tax documents that I looked at, St. Dominic's performed $60 million worth of free charity care for patients, which is a lot of money, you know, and it's probably a lot of good and a lot of help to poor people who needed medical care. But at that same time, it was $51 million worth of care that they performed and they billed folks for it. And that $51 million should have been free or reduced care. So kind of another way to look at that is to be at 51 million and we have 60 million. So two low income folks walked into St. Dominic's, it would appear that one of them was getting free and reduced care, but the other one was not. You know, maybe that patient uh, never filled out the forms. You know, maybe they didn't know how to fill out the forms. Maybe they'd considered it, but it wasn't explained to them properly. We don't, we can't say that for sure. But by St. Dominic's own estimation, there were still thousands of patients who should have been qualified for free or reduced care, but were not getting it. Jack, in addition to the hundreds and hundreds of people who were sued, St. Dominic was suing its own employees. Tell us about that. Yeah, this was one of the things that shocked me to see it so many times. I found at least 120 instances of St. Dominic's and its debt collectors suing St. Dominic's employees over past medical debt and trying to garnish their wages, which would indicate that these employees either don't make enough money or don't have a good enough health insurance policy to to pay their own medical bills. And this is a hospital that, again, you know, its top executives make hundreds of thousands of dollars and its top doctors will clear more than a million dollars a year. St. Dominic is one of the biggest employers in the central Mississippi area. Uh, It has about 5,000 employees, according to some recent tax filings. And yet, yeah, some of them apparently cannot afford the health care or the medical care at the hospital where they work. To your knowledge, does St. Dominic stand alone with these practices or are other hospitals doing the same? Yeah, yes and no. Baptist in Jackson also sues. Uh, they don't sue quite as much and as aggressively, uh, it appears. UMMC, they do not sue patients over medical debt. This investigation in Mississippi is, is really, I think, the first kind of in-depth look at nonprofit hospitals that sue patients over medical debt in the state, largely, I think, because 
school records in Mississippi are so kind of hard to compile and kind of create a database with. Is anything that St. Dominic is doing illegal? No. That's the thing is that um, nonprofit hospitals, you know, they are required to give charity care to low-income folks, but there's no explicit amount of charity care they're supposed to perform. So this has kind of been true for a long time now. And so different nonprofit hospitals have different charitable policies. And so it, it really kind of leads to this question of, you know, we give these hospitals huge tax breaks to, you know, be a benefit to our community. And they, in return, are supposed to be providing a good to the community. But without any kind of like baseline limit on how much that they are supposed to be doing for low-income folks, just kind of makes it hard to know what we are getting in return for these these tax breaks that we give nonprofit hospitals. Have you received any comment from St. Dominic? Yeah, I had asked for interviews with some of the executives at the hospital, but uh, they declined. Uh, it is worth noting that St. Dominic uh, said that they will not be suing patients directly anymore. They still will kind of continue to have a relationship with their debt collectors. I don't think that decision is going to have too much of an effect because, you know, St. Dominic never sued that many patients on its own. It, it, it typically relied on debt collectors. But also, starting July 1st, the hospital is under a new charity care policy that is a little bit more generous. And it does curtail some of the most aggressive actions that their previous debt collections policy allowed them to pursue if they wanted. Where can people read your story? Yeah, they can uh, read my story by going to the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. So if you go online, MississippiCIR.org. Giacomo Bologna is the writer of this piece for the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.